The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning. And now, I'd just like you to picture it. Our big, beautiful, wonderful, and wild world. We love it. We recreate in it. We depend upon it. And we take it for granted. It is all around us, encompasses us, enfolds us, and provides for us. The world is whole and complete. It created us, and we are as much a part of it as it is a part and shapes us. But it doesn't love us. If some things of our modern civilization were to, let's say, stop functioning for some reason or other, it is comforting to know that we won't have to start over completely, nor remember how to replace everything, thank goodness. But there are things we certainly should rethink and replace now when we have the chances right here in front of us to do so. When we think about how best to use everything now by taking responsibility for the decisions we make today to get us into the days after tomorrow, the decisions we make ourselves and those we elect to lead us and those we have the opportunities to meet, talk to, and connect with, to teach and engage with by using one of the most incredible pieces of organic software ever created, our big brains. At least, that's what we've always been told. Isn't that supposed to be the thing that sets humans apart from non-humans and the other mammals? It's that thing that sits on our shoulders, our big brains. So why then are we in such a mess? It doesn't seem that the other beings we share this earth with are having quite the same difficulties managing our home as we do. The one tool each of us has at our disposal is our brain. Filled with generational memories, instincts, and logic systems, we have an incredible ability to think ourselves through to solutions. Today, circling around this subject, I've got a few pet peeves I'd like to get off my chest that to me are simply a result of people, some of them very smart people, that we depend upon and count upon are not thinking straight or, at the very least, are thinking in a very short-sighted and self-limited way. Maybe you've been thinking about them too or have a similar list. You're welcome to call in at 866-472-5788 and we can talk about them. 
The headlines these days are downright scary, and while it seems like the world has been turned upside down around us while we weren't looking, that suddenly the scale and scope of our challenges are so much bigger and beyond the scale of the individual. But historically, this is when we humans are often at our very best, and how we choose to respond to the challenges will define our future and the future of every living thing that calls Earth home. As there are millions of us, there are millions of solutions, which will, together, turn the tides. From grassroots initiatives to concerted efforts, top-down and bottom-up, it'll be the combined efforts of many brains and collaborative thinking, planning, and creativity that will see us through. We humans have a unique ability to solve complex problems, accomplish critical thinking and logistical thinking, and communicate through language and symbols, our collective creativity and imagination. Isn't this how we define being human? There are many things we can do, and there are many things we now know that we certainly shouldn't be doing and cannot afford to do any longer, and yet we continue to bargain. Who are we bargaining with? Each other? Or nature? Or God? Are we asking for signs and answers? Aren't they already here in abundance, clearly seen across the global screens, in how we are getting along with each other? Perhaps some of the decisions we're making these days aren't in everyone's best interests. In fact, some of them are downright ridiculous. I get asked many questions. Sometimes a really good question that will have me completely stumped and makes me pause and ponder. The best answer anyone can give when you don't know is to say, that's a really good question and I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out. And then really do that. This is what mentors, friends, teachers are for. To gain a PhD in living life and sharing that knowledge with those we encounter along the way. That's what school is for. That's what community work programs are for. That's what libraries, history, documentary, movies, and even novels are for. To find out from as many perspectives and angles and other minds how things work. And further, to put all these ideas together to make sense of the world and the people around us. Through each of our brains, that's around 7 billion sets of combined experiences that could provide keys and clues for each of us to create a network of applied wisdom and reimagine new solutions to old and new problems. That's where I and many of us are at this point in time, looking to find the answers to the big questions that are facing us today. I do believe, no, I know Answers to some of our pressing issues and challenges to get us through to the next steps are here, just waiting to be heard, to have the light shine on them. But we have to look deep and listen harder than we've ever had to before. We have history to back this up. What if we'd stopped with E equals MC squared and said, okay, that's it, our work is done. That little question about matter and energy that's been bothering us all this time is solved now. We can all go home and take a nap. Life is a test with no final exam, full of multiple choices and educated guesses with often a good dose of a gut feeling or a hunch and then the odd generational spark of genius. All this leads us to experience our surroundings. This is how we grow up, from children to society to cultures to evolution. We adapt. This has worked for and against us through time, but it is usually only through the passing of time that we can see the shifts 
the paradigms change. When the abnormal becomes the new normal, we shift consensus as we shift consciousness, and lo, evolution has happened. If we had stopped thinking along the way, at each new revelation from what we have come to call the great thinkers of history of how things work, that we decided that we had found it, Eureka, think of where we would be today. We wouldn't know about antimatter, quarks, quantum leaps, string theory, or the one I seem to wake up to every day lately, chaos theory, or that we could put a small balloon up through a vein to repair an old and aging heart. We are now making big decisions with our big brains that will evolve us to the next level or evolve us out of existence. Either way, there are choices we can make at any turn that will weigh in on the tipping point and overall balance. For as we have previously learned to know, nature abhors a vacuum. For instance, we wouldn't know that rats dream of the maze they ran that day in the lab. And not only that, they are consciously in their sleep, replaying the maze and the choices they made, or the choices not made. And science is now wondering, what are they processing about these choices? Probably the same thing, similar as to what we would do. They are using their brains to the best of their capability and capacity to figure out what to do next time. Actually, that's what it seems dreaming is all about. Through our conscious day, we are processing billions upon billions of bits of information. Think about all the processes your body and mind go through just crossing a busy street, or the confrontation you had with your coworker yesterday, or that all-encompassing sense of warmth and comfort when you're being held by a loved one. Our dreams pull these experiences together and then starts to have some fun. It takes them apart, like rearranging the pieces of a collage, snags them out of joint and out of context, and puts them together into new scenarios. And is, is this point, it is preparation for facing scenarios one may have to deal with sometime, like game theory. We get to practice how we'll respond. Whether this seems doable in our waking world is not the issue here. We all know how difficult it is to describe how you had to run through shrinking mud where your feet wouldn't move as the hallway got longer and longer, or you're in your old high school freaking out because you can't find your locker and you know you haven't studied or even attended the class that you have an exam in today. In dreams, it is not the situation that is being replayed, but the putting together of the thinking processes, the problem solving, that many times is in the background, constantly working on that challenge we encountered at the office, with the checkout person at the grocery store, the rude driver on the road next to us. How are we going to work our way out of this situation when we find ourselves in it again? Let's look at another pet peeve. Single-use disposable plastic items. Yes, I'm skipping around today. Um, as I said, I've got a few things that I've, I want to talk about that our big brains seem to have gotten us into. So, disposable plastic items. It's a major pet peeve. All wrapped up in every single bag or bottle is a very major part of our world's current crisis. Seriously, if you put it all together, the footprint of a plastic bag, we can cover the roots of much of the plague that we are facing today. Plastic. There's no denying this amazing material and its wide variety of uses. We need plastics. 
What an amazing discovery and product, from heart valves and kneecaps to spaceships and telescopes and computers and cars. We simply could not have the technology and breadth of ability to create better and better, better, and better environmentally friendly products. What, you say? Plastic? It's the death of our planet. Look at its environmental costs. Okay, let's do that. Petroleum products, fossil fuels, CO2 emissions, electricity, coal, the transport and footprint of movies, moving these things around the planet. All true. All with a planetary footprint of a mammoth herd. Now I'm going to ask a single simple question. We know we need plastics, but how shall we decide what is the best use of these materials and for what purposes? We know how bad it is, yet how important it is. Do we really think single-use plastic bags and containers and coffee cups are the best possible use of this material? Do we really need that? If you're over 40, then you remember when we didn't have single-serving bottled water, bags everywhere up the yin-yang, at every store, in every gutter, in the gardens, in the trees, in your favorite picnic spot, every river, stream, and ocean gyre. Who raised these people to think that throwing garbage out the car or simply taking your waste and dumping it in someone else's yard or the public byways or the land? How did somebody come to learn and think that this is okay, that it's not a problem? I don't think that happened. I think we stopped using our brains. We stopped considering the consequences of our actions. We stopped taking individual responsibility to figure that it's someone else's job to take care of our waste. Do you see where I'm going here? Okay, fine. This is the U.S. we're talking about. We all know adopt a highway, pick up your dog poop, and use the right trash bin at the lineup outside the cafe, recyclable plastic and paper, and then one marked waste. Do we honestly think we are doing ourselves and our world a favor when all we really have to do is stop using, buying, and making many of these non-essential items? Not so long ago, we all got along just fine without them. Why and how have they become essential to our lifestyle choices? It's all just waste, my friends, a waste of resources at the expense of further resources to simply produce more waste. That is not rocket science. What does seem to have turned out to be rocket science, and thus totally ignored by the general population, is why our culture reveres these things so, that it's become so embedded in our lifestyle choices, in fact to the point that it's turning it into the aspirations of others, nations and cultures all over the world by making it the only game in town. We are beholden to the corporate gods. It's just garbage, and in the majority of it is single-use garbage or a plastic derivative lining our to-go cup to keep our coffee hot. And as we walk out of the latest coffee bar, feeling like we've done our bit to keep the planet clean. Nice little bit of brainwashing by the advertisers there, eh? Don't you feel foolish and silly now? What's the matter with carrying your own reusable bag? To hold that scone in and your own coffee cup, your favorite one from home that says clue within the international symbol of the circle with the line through it, otherwise meaning no clue, 
Or as we bring our kitties to the zoo and as we read about the loss of habitats, environments, and species, we're drinking our artificially flavored shaved ice brain freeze while juggling the double stroller with the twins in it, along with all their effluvia, backpacks, toys, diapers, bottles, snacks, and what all that would probably provide for a tribe of Bushmen in Botswana for a year. That takes me to the question of why do we see so much litter elsewhere in the world? The rural countrysides of Europe, which is generally accepted as an intelligent society, or let's go farther, the third or emerging worlds, like Papua New Guinea or Africa. I started going to very, a, a very remote area in Kenya called Kalachadita in the Chalbi Desert in the northern frontier district of Kenya, just below Ethiopia, a day's drive from Marzabit, a three to four day drive from Nairobi, depending on your luck. The roads, or what used to pass for them, were usually relatively clean because most of the people who use them are tourists, safari-goers, who, A, wouldn't dare throw out their candy wrapper out the window because they're so much more civilized, or B, long-haul truckers who don't have disposables to begin with. At least that's how it was 20 years ago. Now I see plastic bottles everywhere. Torn and wind-weary plastic bags in the trees, wrapped around wildebeest, birds caught in the widgets that hold a six-pack together. Cows, goats, and wildlife in drought season, pecking at the brightly colored plastic tops and bags in hopes that it will be food. Somewhere around 10 years ago, I became very aware that I could tell how far I was from a settlement in this area by the appearance of plastic bags in the otherwise open and wild landscape. The closer I got to a town or village, the worse the roadways, trees, animals, and stench. Garbage. The majority of it, single-use plastic bags, bottles, carryouts, and the best one yet, flying toilets. That's when someone has used a plastic bag from some previous purchase as a bathroom in need and has flung it from the car window or is standing still as far from themselves as possible, as though now that it's out of sight, It's no longer a problem. So I decided to find out why plastic garbage and a tremendous amount of waste was filling up the landscape where historically and traditionally the people who lived there still lived pretty much the same way they did centuries ago. Maasai, Gabra, Rindili, Turkana. Where was this rubbish coming from and why? And I'll get back to that right after the break. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. 
Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. Today we're talking about that thing sitting on top of your shoulders, your head, which encloses your brain, our big brains and what my big brain thinks about. And today I'm talking about some of my pet peeves. Right before the break we left off at plastics. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I, in plastics and how they are becoming ubiquitously present everywhere you go, even in places that historically or traditionally never had a use for such things. I left off before the break talking about my experiences in northern Kenya uh, and working with tribal cultures and the appearance of plastics within these areas. And I decided to find out why this rubbish, why and where all this rubbish is coming from. Well, one thing I found out is that historically, these tribes used organic materials for their everyday needs. That is what is so wonderful about collecting art in Africa. It is functional. It has a purpose. A dried gourd is what you use to carry your milk. A goatskin carries waters. Tree limbs create a frame to load your cow, goat, or camel, and sheepskin uh, across its back and carry your home on uh, the donkey's camel or back. Everything you own packs up in a cotton cloth, which, once it's no longer in the best shape for wearing, is perfectly fine as a blanket, a window shade, a baby carrier, until it has literally disappeared into nothing, decomposed. The things like pots and pans, which are prized possession, 
possessions are treated with the highest respect, cared for to the last as long as possible, for they are costly and it's taken a full season to plant and harvest that sugarcane or beets or sorghum to get the money to purchase these Western items of convenience. When they're done, they're still recycled and reused and turned into jewelry or some other utensil. But then along came civilization, the Monsantos, Dows, and major chemical and petroleum companies, and at the same time thought to be the best and brightest idea, the single-use disposable plastic container, bags and bottles and packaging. Amazing things, they all exclaimed. But what to do with it when you don't need it anymore, or just don't want it? What didn't come along with this amazing new thing was education, the knowledge of how to dispose of it, how it harms the planet, their livestock, that it will never go away. Otherwise known as disposable, where do these things get disposed to? They are not breaking down organically and simply returning to the earth. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. There is no place for them to go other than into our systems, into our food, our earth, water, air, and ultimately us. All of us. Everyone. Everywhere. Isn't that a nice legacy for the first world to leave for the third worlds? So, as the years went by, the village of Kalacha became more like a landfill. Outside each private compound, the main byways and schoolyards, looking like a waste pit of plastic bags, empty soda cans, water bottles, batteries, and the packaging of a luxury item like a radio or cell phone, or the top-up minutes lottery ticket-like pieces of paper, sparkling like diamonds under the hot blue sky where it meets the peaks, grays, and golds of desert sands, all caught in the cyclone fencing of family compounds or the thorny brush of a boma enclosure. What also came along with this was livestock that died due to ingesting plastic bags, floating in the ditches or rain catchment, the hard-won desert shambas, the gardens where food is grown in irrigation works that provided clean water for both people and livestock that took years of legislation and hard labor to build, and only months to get clogged with the detritus of modern living. For a culture, the Gabra or the Maasai, or fill in the blank, that lives and totally depends upon the land and what it provides, food, livestock, trade, and tourists, I was amazed that no one considered the waste management, not the elders, not the women's groups, not the children, not the schools, and especially not the government. The only efforts I came across that addressed the waste management were a few NGOs where a team, usually led by Western whites and made up of gap-year European and American student volunteers, would organize a workshop to explain the dangers of poor waste and sanitation management, its links to disease, livestock, and public health issues, while using colorful cartoon-like posters, drawings, and pantomime like something out of kindergarten. The team would then gather volunteers from the village and they would pick up the garbage, enjoy a week's worth of engagement with outsiders. The NGO would cart away the gathered bags of the villagers' cast-offs and depart. And the next thing you know, it's all right back again. So what I learned was that despite the transfer of knowledge of the dangers to health through waste and sanitation and mismanagement, this did not translate across the sense of public good or benefit. 
I would see that inside a compound it would be swept and clean, not a speck of garbage, but outside, on the main public areas, they would be filled with waste. What happened was that the people took their personal waste and simply tossed it elsewhere, out of sight, out of mind, and that the garbage and that was that the wind pressed up against their fence, well, it wasn't their garbage, so it wasn't their responsibility. So what did happen here? Why didn't this track and become a part of the culture, picking up waste? Again, the solution wasn't thought through. With historical, cultural, and landscape and tools at hand brought into the picture, there was no real solution provided to the village as how to manage waste. All that seemed to transpire was that waste was still someone else's responsibility. This little story ends with my own short-sightedness to try and find a solution. We had a long meeting with all the groups, agreeing that we'd go about cleaning the village streets by piling the waste into piles, then into landfill pits, placed at strategic points around the perimeter of the village, bury what couldn't be burned, and create a waste management system. For the short term, while trying to find out where, in country, there was an NGO or ministry that really handled this kind of issue. What happened? I neglected to follow through on the simplest of things. So upon return the next day, the village looked like it had been bombed. There were little charred piles of burned waste every ten feet or so. Through the entire town, smoke lay stinking and heavy over the ground. I asked what happened to the four landfill areas we'd placed. And I was told, well, we raked it into piles, they said, but we had no way to get it to the pits. We need a wheelbarrow, but you didn't give us any. Oh. So, let that be a lesson for you. As my photography mentor told me, it is the simplest or dumbest questions that is usually the one left unasked. This is a reminder that our big brains and cultural attitudes and even our mass of education leaves us to take a lot for granted and to make assumptions. Often, it is the dumb or simple questions that are at the heart of building solutions. I had a similar situation happen to me here on the road where I live. I was walking my dog. It was summer, already in drought. It'd been a bad winter, and by that I mean a little snow. And the bears were coming out and down low early in the season, hungry with cubs and looking for food. Here in the mountains, naturally, what was bear country last year is now often the fenced and private property of a second homeowner's getaway from their hectic urban or globe-trotting lifestyle, or the newest secluded, gated, and wonderfully full of nature sub-rural housing area, complete with all the trimmings of our modern world and its detritus. That which we throw away is often full of the food we have at our disposal in such quantity that we can't eat it all, and we throw it away along with the plastics. Remember now, this is before recycling became the norm. And even here, back then, there was a recycling center, sort of, but there were no waste management systems to handle home pickup and those crates you see in some neighborhoods. You won't see them here. Here, we have to do that ourselves. Separate our waste and take it to the recycling center or the landfill. As I was saying, I was walking my dog, and it was always sort of a fun pastime to see where the bear was the day before. You could tell by the tip turned, dented, and spilled guts of all the garbage cans along the road, and of course, the raspberry jam and foil and plastic bottle caps and wax paper wrappers filled the, that filled the scat the bears leave behind. So... The lady neighbor comes out of her house. She's left her toddler in a stroller on the front lawn near a bag of garbage. And I politely point out the mess on the road and tell her about the bears and request that she dispose of her trash properly. 
that perhaps, as she was new to the road, she may not have been aware that we have bears. Her response? I'm just a renter here. This isn't my house, so that's not my problem. As she places the ripe-smelling bag of trash on the roadside and begins to walk away with her baby in the stroller. After I picked my job from the road, I asked, Is that your garbage? Yes, she said, looking at me like I'm an idiot. So, not quite as politely this time, I said, Your garbage is your responsibility, and I guess we'll see whose problem it becomes when the bear comes back and decides that all the goodies you have stacked in your child's stroller look just like an invitation to a picnic for a bear, or the mountain lion that lives around here, too. I have since learned to be a bit more diplomatic, at least I think so, but this is what I'm talking about, really. I'm just a renter? Where did that woman leave her brain? Where was the disconnect? But when you think about it, there is something to that statement. Perhaps we're all just renters. We may be permanent residents, but really, we're just renting space here on Earth. As a diverse species, we've certainly proven adaptable over the course of millennia, but it also seems that the more we have progressed with our industrialization of our services and outsourced them to someone else's backyard, the less we really think about all these things we take for granted. Where does our garbage go once it leaves our dumpster? The landfill? Have you seen the barges of old electronics we send off to China and Asia to do our recycling for us? Have you seen the squalor of these areas and the poisonous conditions they live in due to the processing of our first-class trash? I suggest that you take a look. Whether it's a spot we call home or holiday, it is our responsibility to take care of that space while we are in it and to take care in mind that which we leave behind. I often wonder at the astounding amount of unused space to be found between some sets of ears these days. You can almost hear the wind rattling through the slats as blank eyes gaze out. The electricity is out, so therefore I can't make this sale. The computer doesn't work, so I can't do this work. Houston, we have a problem. When did it become okay to not think ourselves out of a paper bag? that we leave all this to others, that it's become someone else's job because we, the individual, are just too busy with our daily and rote tasks that there simply isn't time anymore. Between packing up the kids, the plastic, excuse me, I just lost my notes. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I, I apologize. My computer just went uh, wonky on me. There we are. So, between packing up the kids' plastic-lined, rubberized, insulated lunch cooler with prepackaged celery and carrot sticks with a foil packet of hydrolyzed ranch dressing to no sooner closing the door and climbing in the car that you're already on the cell phone, rescheduling your calendar because you have to decide which is more important, multitasking at the gym so you can catch up on your email, listen to the newest iTunes download, and catch the global headlines while checking your stock margins, or walk the dog, and bend over and pick up that empty water, bottle water, bottle of water or candy wrapper or dog poop that someone else so thoughtfully left for you to enjoy. Since when did it become okay that anywhere outside of our personal zone is up for grabs to be despoiled, fracked, slashed and burned, polluted or sterilized by GMOs? We even have a term for it now. NIMBY, not in my backyard. Where was this taught? 
How did we learn this? Or more likely, like Elvis, where did it leave the building altogether? How is it that the concept of respect has been relegated to meaninglessness over self-indulgence, overconsumption, and our relationship to each other and our planet? That please, thank you, and you're welcome are no longer necessary. How about that wonderful phrase used in place of an, an apology that it is better to ask forgiveness than permission? How has that become the norm? Take a look around and we can see where that brilliant thought has gotten us. We've all stopped thinking at some point or another or let it slide or decided that it would be okay just this once. There are 7 billion people and counting and on that scale of magnitude just this once is certainly once too many. Let's put this into a scale that might be more imaginable. Poaching whether it's a deer or a rhino or for bushmeat or for uh, subsistence. Once upon a time, the individual taking a few animals to sustain their family could still be called subsistence and somewhat forgiven. But today, where national parks are facing pressures from increased human population along the boundaries and villages and farms and schools spring up where there were before only grass and wildlife and poverty levels have risen to extremes in the clash of where West meets tribal culture and traditions get lost in the race for progress equals possession, then subsistence takes on a whole new depth of meaning. The scale becomes exponentially huge. The number of animals being taken on a daily basis are so high that the viability of a given and stable population's ability to reproduce itself is rendered nearly impossible. Thus, both wildlife, the environment, and the human population ends in collapse. This is currently where we are headed with a number of species, rhino, elephant, and lions. Whether the conflict is livestock or greed, the result is the same. Short-term thinking survival tactics for the day practically makes long-term survival methods and strategies impossible to implement. It will always come down to humans having to make a decision about how we will interact and behave in our surroundings. And for this, we depend upon our big brains. We have created, imagined, and brought forth unimaginable benefits that, could have been, that couldn't have been dreamed of 50 years ago. It comes to the decision of wisdom, understanding and incorporating what we have learned, and using our incredible human software, that brain, to refine and tweak our behaviors toward survival. That is evolution. But it seems that we have stopped doing this. Otherwise, how do we explain the mess we're in? And on that note, we're going to take a break, and I'll try and have some answers to that question we can co- when we come back. In the meantime, if you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, www.wildeyes.org, or give us a call at 866-472-5788. You can also follow us along on Facebook and Twitter, and we'd love to hear your pet peeves and even more so, your solutions. We'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, 
our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. So today we're talking about our great big brains, that thing that seems to set humans apart from all the other mammals and beings on Earth. Well, um, today I'm talking about a few of my pet peeves in that I don't think our big brains are all that spectacular at times, in that uh, other beings and non-human beings and the uh, creatures and animals that we share our planet with often have a better grasp on how to live on this planet than we do. Uh, we speak of the age of enlightenment, that humanity will evolve into either some superior peaceful state or degenerate into war and devastation. Which state is not my point here. My point is, when does that evolution to enlightenment take place? When does that paradigm shift? We see it as some ephemeral concept in the near or not too distant future, but we forget that each day, each waking moment, we are creating that evolutionary path, that our brains and our decisions that we make today will either take us toward that enlightenment or toward disaster. It is our choice, each of us. And by and through our actions, how we choose to respond to each challenge will define our evolutionary path. 
We have evolved since our birth in our lifetimes. What we pass on to our children will contain both our past and our future, our repository of memories to be learned from, put aside, or incorporated. How's that saying go? We are the people our parents warned us about. While I was in Namibia several years back, I was with the... uh, um, the the Himba people, a nomadic tribe that still remains nomadic today. And they had a very interesting look on time. Uh, I was going through an interview with them trying to understand how things had changed from the day they were feeling now, uh, what they were doing today, compared to their past, uh, their history. Let's say how grandmother's life is different than mother's life and different from daughter's life. An old Himba man took me beside a dry river gully and he said, We look at time as though it's a river. The water in front of us is our past. It is seeable, it is knowable, and we can learn from it. The water behind us coming up, which we can't see, is our future, unknowable. But without our past and without being able to see where we've been, we cannot plan our future. So the Western concept of where when we say, oh, put the past behind you and look to the future, makes absolutely no sense to a Himba person. How can we live and progress toward a future if we choose to put our past away from us, out of sight? We can't relive the past, but we can certainly learn from our history and our mistakes. So... Another little pet peeve of mine, the recent federal government shutdown. You know what really made me angry about it? A, it was the second one in our history since 1995. That alone is an astonishing fact that for the previous 200 years we managed to function. Our House and Senate actually held responsibility for the backbone of our nation. But it was the part of that fiasco that was termed non-essential services. That really, really made me think about today's episode. Non-essential. Let's look at that a minute. Here we are, a nation being held, a nation that was being held hostage by two people of a political party that had publicly stated they would not compromise, that their agenda and political platform was more important than keeping our nation functional. Excuse me, did I slip into a third world country with a dictator for a moment there? Let's talk Main Street, okay? That seems to be a really popular tune these days in our political jargon. But by my estimation, our Congress decided that all that is non-essential. Let me explain. I've recently traveled quite a bit to our national parks and have talked about this over some previous episodes. I travel a lot of places around the world. Um, But sticking to the U.S. and our national parks, they are the backbone of our tourist economy. Similar to what wildlife is for tourists on safari in Africa. Money makers, part of the GDP of our nation in terms of the businesses along those many main streets in the small towns that dot the boundaries of our national parks. And once again, my computer keeps losing my, my notes. 
There we are. It didn't jump me too far. See, you know, sometimes technology really, really bothers me. I should probably just print out my notes and read them that way and not depend on the computer. And my life would probably be a lot simpler. So, as I was saying, let's talk about some of the things and uh, I'd like to explain about uh, what Congress defined as non-essential. So, I've recently traveled to the parks, and uh, similar to the tourists and businesses and main streets, uh, these are the backbone of our economy, where tourists stay, where t-shirts are sold, and where food is transported through the nation's arteries of interstate highways and scenic byways. Yellowstone, which receives more than 3 million visitors a year, was closed. The Grand Tetons, closed. Yosemite, to our national monuments, the Vietnam Wall, the Lincoln Memorial, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, closed. Because all the people who fought in these wars, visitors come to see our history, both political and geographic, these were all considered non-essential to the functioning of our nation. Whose big brain thought that one up? Then again, as I think about it, perhaps it wasn't all so bad. Our federally funded wildlife services couldn't do their predator killing for a few weeks. Did any of you sign that petition asking Congress to defund the billion dollars from its budget and our tax dollars to stop killing our wildlife for special interests? This includes wolves, bears, eagles, foxes, coyotes, hawks, and oh sorry, your pet dog and cat too. That's a subject I've covered before and probably will cover again another time. Which brings me to another thought. How do we decide to do things? What makes us think, as a tourist visiting Thailand, that riding an elephant is okay when at home we sign petitions and causes and give time and money to stop animal abuse, create an environment that engages animal welfare, that we have learned in our nonstop quest for information that animals are often just like us, they think, they must make complex decisions, they have social lives, they have fun. They feel pain. They have personalities. So how can that tourist reconcile being an idiot while on vacation? Get out of their cars and get too close to the bears or the elk or the deer or the lion or the polar bear or the panda, whether in our national parks or in our backyard. Where did our big brain stop thinking and said this was okay to do? We know better. We are given information, we watch TV, we see documentaries, we understand that the wild in our wild world is just that. It is wild. It is not tame. It is not part of our culture, society, and our main street. It is complete and whole of itself, and we are visitors. When did we begin to think of nature as a theme park and life as a trip through Disneyland with no consequences? When did we fall for the auto industry advertising that buying this or that fossil fuel guzzling dinosaur will bring us tranquility, happiness, and all the sex we could handle when we know, we know that the continued use of fossil fuels and patrolling is what it is doing to us, our health, our resources, and our planet. We know this, yet there they are on our big screen TVs, magazines, and roadside billboards. We keep making more and more of them. In fact, we bailed them out a while back when we had the opportunity to think out of the box. We played it safe and, I think, a bit stupid. We continued to put all our eggs in the same old basket, and we still are. What is the allure to this fantasy? 
Where is the dignity that we as a species are making good choices for now and for our future? There is a saying that you either part of the problem or part of the solution. But it isn't so crystal clear, is it? In fact, there is a third option. We are both. The first part to solving any issue is recognizing and taking ownership of the problem. Rarely in the modern world does a problem simply spring forth from out of the blue with no causal predecessor. Nonetheless, we find we are surprised. Why? Because somewhere along the line, we didn't think it through or not far enough. For example, take building a nuclear power plant that feeds a nation on a beach with a direct access to an open ocean that feeds the world and also happens to be prone to tsunamis. And in the engineering and design process, while thinking of worst-case scenarios, to stop short of taking the possibilities all the way, beyond what we think are the limits, as those are only human limits. We do not yet fully know understand or have experienced all that nature can unfold. There are limits that are not bound by human consciousness, hand, or mind, with consequences as limitless as the universe. Whether willingly or not, even with our limited response to the enormity of the universe, it is ultimately our decisions that have gotten us to where we are today. All the greatness and all the messes we find ourselves facing. And that points along the continuum and that it points along this continuum, great swaths of us have, through history, abdicated our responsibilities. The world, nature, the universe, is vast almost beyond our ability to imagine. We are continually learning about its complexity, having unraveled only the very tip of the iceberg toward understanding its innumerable, innumerable and perhaps immeasurable diversity of life forms and of the many kinds of brains, lower and higher, organic and electronic, all doing their thing, those systems that help us and those systems that can do us harm. We are at that place now, in time, in history, in the universe, in our souls, where the real costs of not thinking things through affect us, individually and globally, and we are spectacularly learning just how costly it will be tomorrow to replace these inherent systems, duplicating core functions, reinventing this miracle or creation or evolution of efficiency that is Earth, or our universe, dispassionate and unsympathetic to us, unique unto itself. But nonetheless, we must find a way to live in it and to continue to survive. That it's all just a special effects movie along, moving along a prescribed and terrible script and the director has walked off the set. When did we stop thinking about the big important things that define who we are, our survival and life on earth? When did we st stop connecting all the dots? When did it become okay that we continuously expose and bombard ourselves and our young upcoming minds to the cruelty, depravity, and creative violence that we are capable of doing to one another and then wonder why we cannot find some sort of peace? Why is it that there are babies having babies and we celebrate this in some misguided way by calling it entertainment and reality in this appalling wave of reality TV? Why are we buying into this? It is perhaps that there are so many more dots now to connect. Maybe we should think about that too, the responsibility of recognizing our accomplishments and our failures and become more skilled from both toward facing the challenges ahead. 
We created many of these challenges and we can solve them, but it's going to require using our brains, engaging in wisdom and gaining knowledge from all aspects of living beings and that which we call having a life. This is not a rehearsal, this is not a test run, but the real thing in all its messiness, vibrancy, pain, glory, joy, diversity, and in the learning of something fabulous that just makes your jaw drop, your eyes twinkle, and takes your breath away. That this is an amazing process we each get to do once, our lifetime. We get to live today, or as the saying goes, life is a gift, that's why they call it the present. That we open our eyes to the opportunities that come our way to be a positive force, large or small. So at the end of our journey, we slide fully, completely, and with no regrets back into the womb of the universe and with a grin and a giggle saying, wow, what a ride. So ask yourself this, what will you do when you are next presented with an opportunity to make a difference? And we'll be right back. Uh, next week and in the meantime have a great day and enjoy our wild world thank you this is ellie weiss thank you again for joining us this week be sure to tune in next monday at 11 a.m eastern time 8 a.m pacific time for another edition of our wild world with your host ellie weiss on the voice america variety channel Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.